Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM, brought to you this week by ExpressVPN and Eero. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined by, well, you already heard him, Mr. Jason Snell. Oh, you've blown up our entire intro thing now. You've given everything away. Also brought to you this week, but we're not weekly, so it's also next week. This time. Anyway. Hi. Hello. It's episode 107. We're back. Yeah, I'm happy to report that um, we don't have quite as much stuff as we did. Last episode was just super packed because we had two episodes that weren't normal episodes. This is back to a normal manageable level of space stuff, which I think is uh, I think yeah, is good. It's a, it's a normal fortnight's worth of stuff. Before we get there, though, I do want to take a brief moment and talk about St. Jude because September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And during this month, we take some time and talk about the work of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which is here in Memphis, but they support and uh, create treatments for cancer and other catastrophic diseases in children for kids uh, around the world. They work with the World Health Organization. Um, that the, the WHO has this, this goal, it's amazing to me, to cure at least 60% of children worldwide with six of the most common cancers by 2030. I love these big lofty goals. We talk about that on this show, mm. sort of uh, moonshot type stuff, and St. Jude is just in the midst of that. But for me, it's a really personal story too, because my uh, 10-year-old has been a St. Jude patient since he was uh, a little baby when he was diagnosed with brain cancer. And he's doing awesome today because of the work, the technology, the science, the hardworking men and women at St. Jude, which is why we talk about this, why it means so much to us. We would love if you would join us in our campaign. Our, our goal is to raise $75,000 for the kids of St. Jude this year. You can do that, and you can learn more at stjude.org slash liftoff, stjude.org slash liftoff. Thank you so much if you've already donated, and if you haven't, thank you for considering it. Yes, absolutely. Um, we should also mention that uh, we we promised this, <laughs> that we would do this to ourselves last time. We should mention our members uh, episode is out. If you're uh, a Relay FM member, you can check on the members uh, feed and listen to me and Stephen in the aftermath of watching <laughs> Armageddon. Uh, somebody somebody sent me a link. Todd Vaziri, I think, sent me a link to the fact that they screen Armageddon at uh, at NASA or in... This is apparently a thing where people who know stuff about space, they screen it and they play a game of how many... Like scientific mistakes can okay. you find, and it's like sure. hundreds is yeah. the answer. Um, anyway, if you are not a Relay FM member, you can go to the Relay FM slash Liftoff page and sign up even there and support us directly, and you get access to all of the member specials for Relay, the whole network, including that one, including all our old ones where we've watched other movies and stuff and talked about them. Much better movies, in <laughs> fact, than Armageddon. That's a spoiler. It's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. Most I had of- somebody tell me it's like, oh, why, well, come on, it's fun. And it's like you know, if you if you like that movie, that's fine i just i do not <laughs> it's, it's that simple yeah <laughs> for so many reasons but the science in it most of that episode is just us sighing into the microphones repeatedly it's yeah that's right joe Steele didn't even need to be there we mm-hmm. were channeling him with our size all right we should get on to the pre-flight checklist i think and i have got uh the duty to tell you about what's happening with india's um lunar probe mostly because we established last time that Stephen does not want to pronounce the name of Chandrayaan Ch- two. Chandrayaan. The Ch- Chandrayaan. Chandrayaan. Nope. I t- don't do it. I'm doing this one. You don't have to talk about it. Chandrayaan two update. Okay, so um, the the short version is that soft landing probes on the moon <laughs> continues yeah. to be it's very tricky. very hard. 
it's it's difficult the moon uh is uh is a it's a hard surface <laughs> as well as hard to land on and those things go together it turns out so um first off chandrayaan 2 we should say is a spacecraft in polar orbit over the moon um it is uh it's got a bunch of sensors on it most of its mission is not the lander so there is a it's not like they sent a lander there alone and it failed and the spoiler it didn't work but um uh, anyway, the lander is named uh, Vikram, and they made an, a landing attempt last week. And what happened, I was watching it on YouTube, and I had that moment, and all the people on my space Twitter list were doing the same thing, where it was like, it basically, everybody's thinking about Bereshit, right? The Israel uh, lunar probe landing that happened a few months ago that, um, well, basically the same thing happened. And, and and everybody's thinking about it, and you're thinking, oh, this is the part where Bereshit didn't make it. And then literally the same thing happened where there is very late in the landing stage, there is suddenly some data that gets plotted up on a screen, and we're watching this all live on YouTube, That it, and it's been following their planned line of like the speed and the altitude, like all perfectly. And then suddenly, everybody kind of pauses, and there's this one data point and it's way off of what it should be. And then there's no more data. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it it didn't break effectively is essentially what happened. Something didn't fire or didn't fire right and didn't slow its descent. And so it continued at a rate much higher than it expected at that point. And that means that it, you know, it failed to break and it hit the surface. We get the loss of signal. Once again, uh, the, the prime minister is there watching just as Netanyahu was there for Bereshit. Uh, Modi was there in the room with with the Chandrayaan uh, Vikram lander uh, thing. It's live on the internet. We're all watching it. It's sad. It shows you just how hard this is. They came so far. They've got their probe in orbit, which is an amazing accomplishment unto itself. But um, And I think it's there to be applauded for doing just as uh, Space IL was, of uh, doing it live and knowing that it was super risky and that in both cases, people from all over the world were able to watch as they lost contact with their thing and it crashed into the surface of the moon. Um, so that was pretty remarkable. What's more remarkable is that they have since used Chandrayaan-2 to spot Vikram on the lunar surface, which sounds maybe better than it is. Uh, they did try to radio it and uh, and... But, you know, but it's a hard landing, right? Like it, they can see where it hit um, and it hit hard enough that it's not going to be answering your radio calls basically. But, um, you know, the moon is a harsh mistress. That's the, that's the name of the book. That's the saying. And uh, it's true. It, it, it is amazing that we've gotten to the point where both Israel and India have been able to send these things down and try to get them to land. There's a reason that it's only what four countries that have landed uh, probes on the moon. It's hard. It's hard. And we shouldn't forget that. I was watching right along with with everybody else, and there was a moment where one of the controllers sort of had uh, had their hands up to their face. And I was like, "Oh, oh no!" Like you can just tell, you can read the room and see what happened. Uh, so at this point, India is not being put on that short list, but they've uh, these countries are getting closer and closer, and that is to be celebrated. And I think they're going to be back at it again. Uh, the Indian uh, Space Agency is very serious about this stuff. They're talking about having uh, astronauts in low Earth orbit and all sorts of programs. So I think uh, this will not be the end of their lunar explorations by any stretch. Technology has gotten to the point where access to space and access to even the moon is much more realistic. Um, and I have no doubt that at the rate of growth that's happening in uh, India's space program, for example, that they will get there. 
you know, they, they will get there and other countries will get there. And I think it, it shows how far they've come. I wouldn't say like, well, they tried and they failed. I'd say, look how far they've come. That not only did they get that close with the lander, they've still got the, the probe in, or the, uh, the satellite in orbit around the moon. Like they, they're doing great stuff and it will continue. And it was great to see. Um, and I think that's really cool that we've got all sorts of countries with access to space now that mm-hmm. we didn't have before. So, so sad about Vikram, but, um, you know, good job to everybody working on Chandrayaan. Our last episode we recorded right as SpaceX was looking to do its Starhopper test, uh, the last test for that vehicle. The goal was to be about 150 feet, and the landing pad was basically just right next door. So going up, hovering, going over to the landing pad, and that was a successful test flight. Again, <laughs> watching it live on YouTube, unlike a lot of uh, vehicle mm-hmm. uh, creation and evolution has been done in the past, so it's it's kind of interesting to see both things uh, succeed and fail. But they hit the altitude of 150 meters. I think it said feet a second ago. 150 meters, excuse me. And uh, it uh, was a, a success. And SpaceX is going to be building on this. This, of course, is to test their uh, next generation Raptor motor. They've been developing Raptor now for several years. And this was the just the latest test for that new platform. The company says they will now be building two new Starship prototypes based on the Starhopper uh, test data. One uh, for their, their testing platform in Texas, where this took place, and then one in Florida as well. This is when we get to talk about Elon Musk and timelines. <laughs> Musk has said test flights by the end of the year, <laughs> but Elon Musk. Yeah, so it could be. But it's, you know, yeah, you, n- you never know what it's going to be, but uh, they could do it. And, and you know, it's it's cool because the ultimate goal here is to is to take Starship and uh, use it with these Raptor engines in two different ways, which is also pretty cool. One is direct to orbit just with the Raptor engines and the Starship. And the other is using it as an upper stage on the next big mm-hmm. rocket from SpaceX, which is the, you know, BFR, and I guess they call it Falcon Super Heavy now. Yeah, so just the beginning of, I, th- I think, hopefully will be uh, a long life for this Raptor motor. Yeah, and there and it was a piece, I'm not sure, it might have been the Space News piece, that, uh, it might have been ours, but um, there was a good piece about, like, what it means, and it seems far away, and then they, they pointed out they did this with the Falcon and with the Merlin engines, and, like, th- this is... We we've seen SpaceX do this, and they did it. So that is the encouraging part: is that we can we can roll our eyes a little bit at some of the aggressive timelines and things they say that are probably not accurate. But this is one case where SpaceX went through this process, and we're very successful at it. And so now we're looking at this next process. It's hard not to imagine that they don't, you know, that that they won't succeed because they know what they're doing. They've been through this mm-hmm. process before. In the Ashley Vance book uh, about Elon Musk that came out. Uh, maybe two years ago or so, a huge section of that book is dedicated to that Falcon 9 timeline where they were building it. They were launching them off this little island in the middle of nowhere and just like failure after failure after failure. And they finally got it right. What's different now, and we spoke about this last time, is that that's normally not streamed on the internet for everybody to see. And when you're a company that's building its first rocket, there, there are some people paying attention to you, but not at all like what SpaceX deals with now, all these companies deal with now, right? Because they, they put themselves out there and it's a basically a household name. So it is different, but you're right. They yeah. have done this before. They know what they're doing. And uh, I think that probably not by the end of the year, but next year, sometime next year, I think we'll definitely see this. 
Yeah, you know, when uh, a tech company has like hardware or software that fails spectacularly, they're doing that behind closed doors under right. NDAs yeah. and, you know, double locked and you can only get it. And whereas this, these base companies, you know, these big events, they, and it, it is a marketing event, but at the same time, you know, things blow up and it's and fail. And they, I, I love that they put it out there. I mean, Blue Origin has really leaned into this, right? They've had... I don't know how many test flights now, and they stream them all, and they have commentary, just like SpaceX does on their actual missions. Blue Origin is doing that for for the, their testing of of their their vehicles, yeah. so it's it's become more and more commonplace, definitely. Yeah, they even had a a, a camera on like by the rocket, looking at the yeah. rocket engine for, for SpaceX, which didn't last, you know, past yeah. the firing. But they, you know, it's they they the end of that GoPro, too, right? Like <laughs> you, when you put yep. that GoPro, you yep. set that up there, you know. This is the last time I'll see this camera. It's gone forever. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yep. Yep. But it sent us some great footage before it melted. It did. All right. Uh, well, we got a lot of regular topics to talk about this time, but I should probably take a break for our first sponsor. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Now, you might think that nobody uh, wants your online data. Nobody wants to snoop on you. You're just a regular old person on the internet. But the fact is, um, when you browse the web without anything to protect your privacy, you risk hackers, bad people, also uh, like ad companies that are tracking you. I would say bad people also. Uh, any You need, they're collecting data on you. They're watching you. Um, it happens and it may not be like focused on you, but you are aggregated up and used in sorts of different ways. And you don't have to have that happen. And that's why you should use a VPN like ExpressVPN. It runs in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. It encrypts your data. It hides your public IP address. You just download the app, click to connect or tap. I do that on my iPad all the time. It's super easy. And you're protected. It was rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It uses new cutting-edge technology called Trusted Server, which makes sure there are no logs of what you do online. It costs less than $7 a month. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. I've used it. I've got it on my iPad. Very easy. One tap. If I'm out at a completely unsecure Wi-Fi, I will use that. Also, will use that if I'm traveling and I go outside of the U.S., I can make a VPN connection back to the U.S. so you can kind of shift countries and get access to the stuff that, in my case, I want to see as an American in the U.S., even if I'm in Europe or someplace like that. Uh, and uh, I like knowing that my stuff, my, my IP address is hidden, my, uh, my data is all encrypted. It's good. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash liftoff. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash liftoff for three months free with a one-year package. Take back your online privacy. Expressvpn.com slash liftoff. Thank you to ExpressVPN for supporting Liftoff and all of Relay FM. All right. So we're going to pick up a story that we last spoke about in February. So there's a bunch of stuff going on around NASA's Artemis mission. Part of this is commercial lunar landers that I think the plan is to have be not only in conjunction with Artemis missions in the future, but maybe even in the time between now and 2024 when Artemis is supposed to set people back on the moon. And NASA is looking at these commercial landers as opportunities to send science ahead of or in addition to uh, their own hardware. And back in February, NASA basically outlined a bunch of experiments that it was considering for these missions, kind of explaining them. But this week, they have selected uh, four that I believe are, will be amongst the first. And I thought we could go through them and talk about them, and we could do our favorite thing. We get to grade the names of the missions, because oh boy. some of these 
Oh boy. Not good. Not good at all. We're going to start with SEAL, which stands for Surface and Exosphere Alterations by Landers. It's pretty good. I love that kiss from a rose. That's good, Jason. Well done. (laughs) Isn't that Batman movie? Take a pause and recognize Jason for that. What's cool about this is SEAL was actually built in 1998 for Japan, what would have been Japan's first interplanetary spacecraft, Nozomi, Nozomi, Nozomi. We'll go with Nozomi. I think it was Nozomi. Nozomi. Maybe I was right the first time. I shouldn't have doubted myself. The, uh, 1998 is about four years after Kiss from a Rose came out, <laughs> by the way. So it's a, it's a very 90s no, kind you're, of name. you're on Seal. brand today. This mission was scrapped, so Seal actually never made it to Mars as planned. And so there's this experiment kind of sitting on the shelf, if you will. If you will and uh, Goddard, part of NASA, ended up refurbishing the experiment and is now prepping it for lunar flight. So what SEAL does is it studies the interaction between the exhaust of landers and the moon itself, both the uh, the very, very thin atmosphere, the exosphere at the moon, but also the lunar dust. We're going to speak about this on later Apollo missions, but the, the lunar dust basically gets turned into tiny, super sharp, super fast micro bullets, because there's obviously very little atmosphere, very little gravity, and this dust is super sharp. And some of the later Apollo missions actually uh, like could sandblast nearby hardware when they touched down and when they lifted off because of this exhaust plume and its interaction with the dust. And so SEAL is designed to investigate those things, to look at not only the physical interaction, but the chemical interaction as well, and to help us understand that what will happen to the moon's surface, the hardware that we may put on the surface in the future, but again, that very thin exosphere, what if a bunch of landers, like, how does that all interact? You know, in, up until now lunar landers are pretty few and far between, right? Even in the Apollo days, which were the heyday, you had one every handful of months. It wasn't ever at all like what you think about when you hear someone like Jeff Bezos talking about space infrastructure. You know, like it's that's a different level. And SEAL is designed to help us understand our impact on the moon itself if we get to the point where we are putting lander after lander down and then back up from the surface. So uh, pretty neat. I love that they're, they've they dipped back to this hardware that was built for Mission the Nights. It didn't go anywhere. And uh, yeah, so that's number one, SEAL. And uh, I give the name a thumbs up. Yeah, it's uh, it's easy and not too ridiculous. All righty. Uh, up next, we have one with no name. It doesn't have a name yet. Mm, come on, people. But this is a magnometer to study what's left of the moon's magnetic field. You may think, Stephen, the moon doesn't have a magnetic field. Well, it's believed that it did like a billion years ago, but it doesn't now. But there are pockets of weak magnetic attraction that have been measured around the moon. Again, some of the Apollo missions looked at this. And again, if we are looking to explore and expand more and more of the lunar surface, this is... Uh, this is a important thing to know about. So this uh, 3.5 pound, 1.6 kilogram experiment is going to be looking at that. Yeah, and I have decided that we're going to call it Palma for pockets of weak magnetic attraction because <laughs> that sounds great. That's pretty good. Up next, this is the one I want to talk to you 
uh, talk to you about. The prospect, all capital letters, so it, it may stand for something. This article doesn't say what it stands for. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. No. The prospect ion trap mass spectro- spectrometer. Spectrometer. Or... Spectrometer. PITMS. P-I-T-M-S. PITMS. 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 Terrible name. PITMS. Uh, what... What does prospect stand for, Jason? No one knows. It's just capital letters. Why is it capital letters? Anyways, they don't ask me these things. Oh, boy. This is designed to look at water, argon, nitrogen, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, and methane from the moon's exosphere, but chart them across a uh, a day on the moon. As we know, the moon... The surface of the moon is vastly different, whether you are in shade or in sun, by hundreds of degrees. And we don't understand what that may do to water on or under the surface or these trace gases in the atmosphere of the moon. We haven't been there long enough with the Apollo missions or hardware since uh, to study this. And if, again, all these are geared towards if we're going to be have a sustained presence on the moon – we need to understand, is there some sort of water cycle here that we need to know about that is advantageous to us to gather, you know, go out and, and gather water, gather ice at set times at different uh, times of day. We're looking for different amounts of sun and shadow throughout the day. All of that's unknown. And so Pittman uh, is looking to study this as the moon's surface heats up and then cools. Yeah, sounds cool. Don't like the name. Uh, I've seen, I just did a bunch of Google searches and it sounds like prospect is not always capitalized. So it may be one of those things where people just assume it must stand for something and it doesn't. Um, or that's just sort of like the name that they're calling it, but then it has another name. So I don't know, but I like the idea behind it. It's a great, sounds like a great instrument that needs some branding help. Call us. We're, we're here to help. And do you, you want to tell us about the last one? Well, it, Stephen, it's a radio frequency spectrometer and uh, it's called... Radio wave observations at the lunar surface of the photoelectron sheath, or Rolls's. Pretty good. Um, no comments about Rolls's? Rolling on laughter. <laughs> uh, uh, silly. No, maybe not. I don't know. I give up. Yeah. Uh, they did, too, because photoelectron, from that word, they chose the E in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, uh, the idea here is that this is a radio frequency frequency spectrometer uh, that will learn how radio signals could be captured from cislunar space to observe the far reaches of the universe, which is a kind of a fun idea. So they're, they're like, can we do basically like radio? What what's going on with radio telescopes on the moon? How how might that work? Which is a cool idea. Yeah, this made me think about the James Webb Telescope, which is going to be way far out there past the moon to be shielded from interference from Earth. And this is sort of the same idea that if we can, can we put a radio telescope on the other side of the moon, using the moon as a shield from Earth, using it to hide all of the interference that we would have. The uh, photoelectron sheath business in the name, uh, there is a collection of material from the solar wind that is collected around the moon that could interfere with radio telescopes. And so they're looking at that, seeing how far out will we need to be while we still benefit from the shade the moon uh, provides us 
from the earth. Pretty neat idea, one that's been talked about for a long time, and this hardware will help scientists uh, understand if it's it's an idea that has legs or not when thinking about ways to observe uh, our solar system and beyond uh, beyond just Earth and low Earth orbit. Again, kind of the yeah. same idea with the James Webb, a little bit of get further out there, get away from the stuff we have here, and you get a cleaner picture. Yeah. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. There's cool stuff to be done on the moon. Uh, and that brings us to... <laughs> While we're in, we're talking about lunar landers. This doesn't have a, a section name, but it's just like the lunar lander section of the show. It seems like yeah. Uh, part of Artemis, sure. of course, is going to be a, a crew lunar lander. You have to get people uh, in this case from the lunar gateway down to the surface and back. And NASA has had a draft solicitation for lunar landers out. They're adjusting that. Uh, they're making changes to it as they go. This is now called the Human Landing System, so the HLS. And again, transporting astronauts from gateway to the lunar surface and back. So different from Apollo, where you were in lunar orbit in your own spacecraft and then dropped down, the gateway will be sort of the bus stop to the moon and back. This document outlines the program, outlines what NASA is looking for. A lot, this is really common, a lot of what Brian Stein has talked about with Artemis is that they want to go by 2024 and they want to work on making it sustainable uh, and by using reusable hardware. And it seems like with the uh, with the human landing system, NASA is willing to give some of that up for the first couple of years. But in 2026, 2027 and beyond, they want this platform to become more sustainable and more reusable. That is unclear to me what that means for the first few missions. I don't know. Does, I mean, we just don't know. Would that mean that each Artemis mission flies with its own human landing system? And then eventually there's just one kind of always docked a gateway that basically just ferries back and forth for the rest of its life, which is kind of how I've always pictured it. Uh, we just don't know. So this is this document is going out to companies so they can uh, get on board and uh, they'll find a company to to manufacture this thing for them. What is uh, what's also interesting about this is how they are going to actually go about doing that. So the new version of this document states that NASA will select four initial uh, companies and award them nine month contracts for initial design work. And then there will basically be reviews as they go. And then two companies will move forward. And then basically one of those companies will work on the initial lander. And then either the first one or the second one would be open to work on the later, more sustainable, more reusable lander. So they're sort of changing their plan a little bit. I think initially they wanted something they could use throughout Artemis, and now they're realizing that yeah. maybe you can't have sustainability and meet this deadline, and so we're kind of splitting uh, splitting it in two. Exactly. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, you want... Ultimately, this needs to be sustainable, but it's not going to be that way by 2024 if you're going to try to meet that deadline. So build, you know, build it now with the idea that you're going to get sustainability, which presumably includes some degree of mm-hmm. reusability. Um down the road, but fast and then sustainable over over time. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I always, I just always pictured because I don't think NASA ever talked about it. The lunar lander, basically just being a ferry going from the surface to the gateway, many times over many years, and that that may not be the case on day one. We just don't know. We don't know. Uh, the the budget for this, by the way, is that the individual awards uh, under this program will be greater than a billion dollars. So billion with a B. A lot of money to build a, a human landing system, but uh, you got to have it. You got to close that gap from the gateway down to the surface. 
<laughs> you can't. It's hard to land people on the moon without a lunar lander. Yeah, that's a critical step. <laughs> it is like number one. What about like a really long zip line, like from the gateway down to the surface? I don't know. I mean, you try it. Get like a jetpack. That seems more reasonable than this. We're full <laughs> of ideas, NASA, is what we're saying. All right. Uh, let me tell you about our second sponsor, and then we're going to talk about hurricanes and. Kennedy Space Center. Ooh. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace. You can make your next move with Squarespace because it easily it lets you easily create a website for your next idea or your next project, your next company. And you get a unique domain name you can pick from a bunch of award-winning templates and more. So if you think about what goes into a website today, you know, there's not just static pages anymore. We have online stores and portfolios and blogs and podcasts and photo galleries and video and Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all of those things. And you don't have to become a server admin because there's nothing to install. There are no patches to worry about. There are no upgrades. Uh, no upgrades are needed. You still don't have to worry about it because Squarespace, they have it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I've been sharing about how I am helping a local nonprofit build a Squarespace site. And something came up the other day about wanting to use uh, video in the background. So this is kind of a trendy web thing. And you, know, you can do it in other systems. And of course, you can do it in Squarespace too. Uh, I looked through their help, found the document I needed, and walked me right through it. And uh, having that resource of good knowledge-based articles written by the company is invaluable. When you're building other systems, you're kind of up, you know, it's the Wild West. You're up uh, you against the whole world. But Squarespace, you have all the that help documentation. And I was able to do what they wanted to do very easily. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial today with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash liftoff. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code LIFTOFF to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name and to show your support for this show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash liftoff and the offer code LIFTOFF to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Space! Squarespace. Okay. As we know, uh, Hurricane Dorian just... Passed over the Bahamas, hit parts of the U.S. and Canada. A, a terrible tragedy. The, the photos and the news coming out of the Bahamas is mind-blowing. Uh, but I wanted to talk about this through the lens of liftoff. And, of course, that means talking about uh, Kennedy Space Center. Sitting there in Florida, and it, it escaped without any major damage this time. But it got me thinking about how NASA has to handle these things. Uh, has to handle these storms that can come through and cause... A real damage to uh, Kennedy. And uh, they did a couple things to prepare. I don't know if we spoke about this. It was on the liftoff blog, but uh, they pulled the $650 million mobile launcher back into the VAB uh, atop the transporter crawler, make sure that's uh, mm -hmm. safe and sound inside. As far as the, the other launch sites that SpaceX and others are using, the majority of that, har the majority of that hardware is built to withstand hurricane winds. And so you, you think about the uh, the strong back and the, the launcher towers of those other sites. All that stuff is is equipped to kind of be out there on its own. But the mobile launcher, not quite finished yet, obviously one of a kind, and they can move that 
uh, relatively easily. So that's pulled into the vehicle assembly building. And there's a small team of about 100 people or so that stay on site throughout the storm and monitor the spaceport from the launch control center. So these are people from across the uh, agency at, at Kennedy, but they're, they all have different responsibilities during this time than they normally do, but through their expertise. So they are there to monitor the facilities, monitor any uh, spacecraft hardware that may be on site, and monitor all the infrastructure at Kennedy. You know, uh, I'm always impressed by this when we visit various parts of NASA. Like, there's just a lot of stuff, right? Like, there's a lot of buildings, there's a lot of infrastructure there, and they are there to mon- monitor all of that and to make calls about uh, what, you know, prioritizing repairs and that sort of thing, if it comes to that. In uh, the mid-90s, after Hurricane Andrew, uh, it was decided that any building uh, built from there forward would be able to withstand winds of between 100 and 135 miles an hour. So any new construction would have that benchmark set. Uh, And there's a a PDF in the show notes about their hurricane plan from that time. Uh, Other buildings have been retrofitted to become more storm-ready. But the building I always think about, of course, is the vehicle assembly building, right? It's huge. Can't move that. You can't move it. It's humongous. Mm. And just, I mean, when you're at Kennedy, everything is so flat and so low, you can see it from miles around. Yeah. And so it's a pretty big target for a hurricane. Uh, What's really neat in reading about this is that the building itself can withstand winds of 125 miles an hour. One way they've done that is the the VAB is just a steel box with an aluminum skin. And some of the, the panels of aluminum that make up the outer skin are designed to break away in high winds or in sudden pressure changes, which is common in a hurricane, of course. And by doing so, NASA and its engineers can protect the building itself by having these panels blow out at certain times. So you're not having – you're creating a place uh, for the wind to go. Now – you are opening the building to rain and, and outside forces at that point, but that's better than uh, having someone go through the building is better than when trying to damage all the outside of the building. It's pretty clever. Yeah. Of course, uh, the VAB has had significant damage in the past. Uh, in 2004, there were a couple of hurricanes basically back to back. Francis and uh, Jean blew off like 40,000 square feet of the skin, some 850 of these aluminum panels. I remember photos of this. Uh, I'm including in the show notes a link to the VAB's Wikipedia page just because there are pictures of this, um, of basically huge chunks of the outer skin missing from the storm. And uh, I remember this being on the news in, in 2004. Um, they've gotten, of course, uh, that repaired and, and repainted and everything. 2007, the building was repainted uh, to help uh, cover that. But it's uh, it's kind of a neat deal where they've designed it to you know, have some damage to protect itself from more damage. It's a good idea. Yeah. Clever. I mean, they're sticking out there. What can, what can you do? <laughs> you just got to find ways to mitigate it. And it's, uh, I, I would imagine that if there were flight hardware in the VAB, um, you know, maybe some of these panels can be locked down with it where they don't, they don't rip off. I, I'm not sure. Uh, but even with the mobile launcher inside the VAB, that is clearly better than it being outside. Uh, and, you know, you think about the, the something something like the space shuttle, right, where 
you can't have that outside. It, it can't really withstand much at all. Uh, the VAB gives it good cover. Exactly. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's you got to, you like, you just got to deal with it. There are going to be hurricanes. They're going to hit the Cape. You got to, you got to deal with it. So it's interesting to see that they've got a, unsurprising for NASA, they've got a whole plan. And of course, NASA is instrumental in the imaging of all these hurricanes. All throughout the last week or so, they have had uh, tweets and blog posts up about the um, the hurricane as it's moved through imaging from satellites, imaging from the International Space Station. Of course, NASA and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration work closely together uh, during these times. And uh, you know, NASA studying Earth science and climate science and how that's changing. And this hurricane's a good reminder of all that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm, for sure. I think that does it for this fortnight, Jason. Yeah, this is a, uh, it's a, uh, it's fine. We, we, we covered some stuff and we, we got the backlog under control now after having it be totally out of control yeah. last time. <laughs> yeah. Things are, things are, I want to say things are settling down, but there are always new space stories. It is surprising. We say this every time. But it's like, there's so much going on. So, uh, very exciting. Uh, and we'll, we'll, uh, you know, have more. I don't know. We've got, we got some episodes to play with here because we don't have another Apollo episode until November. So, you know, we'll see. We may have to come up with some clever topics in the next month or two to get us through, um, since this is apparently not the year of commercial crew after all. So other things for us to talk about. Doesn't look like it. All right. If you want to read more about the stories we spoke about, head on over to the website, relay.fm slash liftoff slash 107. There in the sidebar, you can learn more about membership. You can follow a link to our blog where we post stories in between episodes and you can find links to us on Twitter. You can find Jason there as Jay Snell. You can follow me on Twitter as ISMH. Until our next fortnight, Jason, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Adios. Adios.